0: Good morning, and welcome to episode 860 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by our supporters at Patreon. Thank you very much to each and every one of you. Also by the play index at baseballreference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hello, Ben. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Anything you want to talk about today?
1: Not particularly. I'm up for whatever you want to talk about. Yikes. (laughs)
0: i was really hoping you had like 40 minutes of banter
1: (laughs) we can brainstorm together
0: so um the season's about a week old and uh i wanted to talk to you about some of our um some potential areas of confirmation bias i guess uh ways that the season has gone just how we expected them to or maybe one or the other of us expected it to or uh, the world did, or whatever.
1: Could we banter about your article today for a minute? Yeah, sure. I haven't read it yet, but I'm curious about what it says. You you sort of summarize the beat picota contest results. Well, not the results, but but what what people picked. Yes, exactly. This, this yeah. Contest where you can pick picota projections that you think are too are optimistic or pessimistic, and you can try to beat those projections. So you have looked at which players people picked, and I'm curious what they are.
0: Yeah, I also I was curious to see how many. Uh, I guess I was curious to see how similarly we would all behave. Whether there would be players that were you know close to unanimous. Whether there'd be players that were extremely popular. Um, besides Wade Davis, who I told everybody to pick, and seemed <laughs> pretty obvious to me. Yeah. And uh, in fact, there were a lot of players for whom the consensus was uh, overwhelming, and I, I'm glad about that. It's a much more fun test of everything of the world of baseball as a system, as well as of us as a group of fans. If uh, we have a kind of clear hive mind, because it's fun to test the hive mind, we all we all mock the hive mind, but uh, maybe the hive mind uh, adds value, and maybe it doesn't, maybe it leads us all into the same uh, dark alley. But mm-hmm. um like uh, for instance uh, Bryce Harper 66 players chose him uh, for either over or under and 66 players chose him for over <laughs> all 66. Oh. There is not one single person that thinks Bryce Harper is going to uh, regress and Harper was also one of my picks so I don't consider this an outlandish position for us to have I I also mentioned I think when I think I mentioned when I was on MLB network uh, last month that Harper is, an interesting guy to project because he wasn't that good before a year ago. We sort of forget how like I mean he was young, he was amazing for his age. He was mm-hmm. historically good for his age, but this version of Bryce Harper where he is, you know, the best hitter in the league, uh and um maybe in a maybe not even close. Like it's conceivable that in a few weeks we won't even consider that to be something that you can have a decent conversation about because it'll just be so obvious. But before last year, he was, you know, basically 15% better than league average. Uh, A whole bunch of not very good players were as good as he was at the plate. Some of those Mm -hmm. guys are out of the league now. Uh, But Bryce Harper is such an individual case because, of course, we know that Bryce Harper, the Bryce Harper story is not just four years of major league stats. It's you know, what he was doing when he was 14. Like, he's, he, like, he, it's it's funny because, you know, we often talk about cases like Wade Davis where we speculate that, you know, maybe Pakoda's long memory... Makes it, uh, or uh, maybe our short memory in this case, uh, is an advantage over Picota because we can see the thing that has changed. We recognize the role change. We recognize some of these details that that it can't necessarily identify. With Harper, our advantage, arguably, if we have an advantage, we'll see if we're right, is that we have a very long memory. We remember when he was fourteen. We know that he yeah. is a. Uh, gen, gen, I'm using the I'm using the phrase a generational talent and um, <laughs> and always has been.
1: And how many generational talents do you think are out there at any one time? Uh, <laughs> how many players do you think? How many current MLB players have been described as generational talents?
0: I don't think certainly that two. Many. I don't think that many have. Like I would guess more than one, but I would bet that if you put together one of your supercuts, uh-huh. uh, you would have trouble finding. I wouldn't even think I would guess maybe six to twelve active players who have yeah, described right mm-hmm. which I guess is a little bit of uh
1: <laughs> Still of, uh more than they're supposed to be
0: generational talent inflation, but uh, yeah. anyway but with yeah so with harper it's not it doesn't seem to i think to most of us it doesn't seem irrelevant that he was able to hit a ball five hundred and sixty feet or whatever with a metal <laughs> bat when he was fourteen. So, you know, we were we were we were ready. We were ready to see the corner turned mm-hmm. the mid, the second the corner was turned. Like we we were talking about it days after, right?
1: Yeah. It's funny because a right? few years ago Harper was a guy who well, I guess you were still asked to defend his projection or called upon to defend his projection this year, but a few years ago, I remember the same being true. I think I was asked about it maybe on MLB network and I remember maybe Colin Wires wrote about it, and I was asking him how I should justify the projection that said that Harper wasn't going to get better or was going to get worse after his rookie season when he was, you know, by BP's current stats, at least a five-win player. And some of that was defense, but he was great. And he was 19, and everyone expected him to continue getting greater every year. And then at 20, he got better on a rate basis but didn't play as much. And then in 2014, he got worse than he was in 2013 on a per plate appearance basis. And he also played even less because he got hurt. And so for a couple of years there, it, it looked like Pakoda's, you know, not pessimism, but restraint had been wise.
0: Yeah, the, there is, and, and you, for most players who are really great at 19 or 20 or 21 or 22, I think it does underwhelm people to see the projected Career growth some players genuinely Do peak at 21 you know we know That as a population Baseball players peak a little later But that's not true for everybody and When you see a player who is extremely good At a young age the most Likely thing is Actually that he's that's How good he's going to get because There's a limit to how good baseball Players generally do get Uh, And uh, it's you know more Likely that you've found the aging curve outlier than that you've found the better than mickey mantle outlier mm-hmm. um and so that's always a that's always a fairly decent bet if a guy puts up you know a seven win season at 21 well he's a hall of famer for sure but he's probably not going to be putting up it's not like you can put the standard aging co- curve on him and say well he's going to be a 16 win player someday yeah. With Harper, it's not totally clear that he won't be, though, <laughs> okay. and um, and also I don't know how we ha- I don't know what it m- what it means for Harper that he essentially had to had to, he skipped all the development that other players have like he didn't have 400 at bats against High A 400 at bats against Double A 400 at bats against Triple A he kind of uh, by being in the majors that young. His development was unnatural. And the comping players sort of implies that their lives, the the basis of that, the philosophical premise of that, is saying, well, people have shared experiences and shared attributes with others who have come before them. And what happened to similar players is a pretty good guide for what will happen to them. But when you're a player like Harper, whose development is so unusual, it's, it's unclear how much... Those little developmental gremlins are waiting to come out in a uh, in in the form of a unique aging curve. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Harper's I think Harper was projected to be something like the seventh best player in baseball this year, uh, which is really phenomenal and also really easy to see why everybody took the over. Yeah, because he's probably I, I think that you know most people would probably say he's at worst the second or third. Yes. So I, you know, I also took Harper. Manny Machado was 45 overs and one under. And this was an odd one. A lot of, as I concluded, a lot of the, the overwhelming picks are essentially come down to uh, guy had a, you know, relatively consistent level of performance for his career, had a great year or a horrible year last year. Pakoda is weighing the larger sample. And expecting some regression to his career norms While we think the corner was turned And so we don't want to give We don't want to regress that much mm-hmm. uh, And Machado is not necessarily this case There is some regression To his offense from last year uh, But not much Mostly, um, you know, Pacota really likes Machado as a, as a hitter And Machado last year It's not like he was um, You know, the best hitter in the league He was for instance considerably worse than pakoda projects bryce harper for uh, but he adds so much value i mean he, part of what makes him a superstar is that he is one of the you know half dozen most valuable defensive players in baseball and he's a great base runner and those things add to his mvp caliber warps uh, but you know he's he's a good hitter he hasn't yet established though that he's he is or is going to be a Miguel Cabrera-type hitter. Uh, and it seems like everybody who picked this thinks that, in fact, he is going to be a Miguel Cabrera-type hitter. Uh, and so even though there's not a lot of regression in Pagoda's projection, people uh, refused any projection, uh, any regression whatsoever. Uh, so Mike Moustakis was a overwhelming over. Sonny Gray was an overwhelming over. Addison Russell Surprisingly to me, a little bit because it's you know, he hasn't demonstrated it. Uh, was an Mm -hmm. overwhelming over. Uh, and Zach Granke was an overwhelming over. Pablo Sandoval, overwhelming under, uh, which is not surprising. We all know that Pablo Sandoval is a big fat guy whose team lost confidence in him, which is you know, seems like relevant data. Uh, and uh, projection darling Steven Souza is uh, was the most. Popular unanimous under 33 people took the under not one person Took the over and uh, Stephen Souza, every generation gets It's quad a slugger And uh, Pekoda, uh, Some of Pakota's favorite Players who have whiffed In the past have been Quad a sluggers and it's hard to Identify I think a quad a slugger until They've already proven themselves to be quad a slugger Some of them then, do genuinely turn out to Be very good Paul players uh, but You know there is a type. There, there is a type of player that, for some reason or another, uh, is able to uh, destroy a certain level of pitching and fall off the cliff when that level of pitching gets just a little bit better. Uh, And uh, Souza, I don't think is proven one way or another what he is, but he was a huge projection darling last year, uh, badly underperformed, and uh, Pakota dropped its its opinion of him quite a bit, but not enough for you all, and uh, we'll see. That mm-hmm. that's the there are a few of these that are unanimous that I think we could pretty much all be wrong on. I think Souza's a I would take the under. I didn't take the under, but I would take the under on Souza. But to me, it's not overwhelming. That's an easy one for I think everyone to get wrong. There's a real possibility that he that he does put up a 300 true average. Yeah, uh, John Lester, I think, is tremendously uh, overwhelming under, and I don't I don't know. Uh, that seems like something that'd be easy to get wrong. So,
1: mm-hmm. all right. Well, I will link to the article so people can go check it out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that there yeah. was such unanimity on certain guys.
0: Kenta Maeda was an
1: overwhelming under, and he was projected to be pretty good.
0: Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. like a little bit, a little bit worse than Lester was. Uh huh. Although I guess everybody thought that Lester was
1: too high. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right.
0: Okay, so uh, let's see. First off, Rich Hill. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Rich Hill had another great start. Uh, Uh He has now made six, and four of them were just completely elite. Like... Since, Ten, since double digit last September
1: 1st or something Yes, exactly yeah.
0: Double digit strikeouts, one walk or fewer And uh, he is now, I mean, look He's undeniably the best pitcher in baseball <laughs> <laughs> Over his six starts And uh, so I don't know when it starts to to get real But it's a very different conversation than we had three days ago
1: yeah, so you were uh, way, way down to $22 twenty two million dollars. Twenty, twenty two and a half. Twenty two and, and a half for half. Rich Hill. So, uh, how much did that one start? How How much was that worth?
0: I'm back up to thirty. Uh
1: huh. <laughs> Very lucrative start for Mister the- Hill.
0: Well people have you know It is reassuring
1: because are... it's like, oh, he can do it in two thousand sixteen too now. It's not just an ability that he magically had in two thousand fifteen and and left when the calendar turned.
0: Well there are there are three there are three ways that a person's great performance can be discarded um based on sample size. One is to say that his performance uh, actually depended on luck and fluke and that he wasn't actually that good. So, uh, you know, you could throw a perfect game, but all 27 balls could be line drives right to the third baseman. If you give up 27 line drives in a row, you're probably not going to throw many perfect games. And uh, Rich Hill is absolutely not that. Uh, He has been, you know, it's not like he just has a good ERA. There are always pitchers who have incredible ERAs over six start spans, um, but that's not him. I tweeted this out, but he has more... 10 strikeout one walk games you know double digit or more strikeouts one walk or fewer starts in the last two years than all but I think six pitchers in baseball Uh and he's only made six starts like he's like the people who are above him on this list are your six Cy Young favorites for this year and he's you know basically pitched like them two-thirds of the time and you know, in one again, in in the in the two starts that were not that one was a perfectly good start. It was there was nothing wrong with it, and the other was two good innings with one bad inning. So he's essentially had one bad inning. Yeah. In <laughs> in six starts, so that leads you to the second thing. The second way to marginalize a great performance is just that uh, bad players sometimes have play well. You know, if you're a golfer and you shoot ninety. Well, you probably have, you know, seven great shots around. And then the rest of them are pretty, you know, mediocre or worse. But you have demonstrated the ability to make a great a great shot, seven times even. And so there's no reason that you couldn't roll the right dice, whatever, uh, and have those those shots all come in a row and you just keep doing it. And mm-hmm. you can't keep it going for your whole life. But it is very conceivable that, that your good performances could bunch up uh, in a way that looks like a trend even though it's really just um, random events clustering and so Rich Hill still only has six starts if he had four good starts spread out over five years we wouldn't think anything of it it is conceivable that he has just managed to clump his five years worth of good starts altogether or that he's you know hot whatever hot means and that he will fall out and the third is that no matter how good he is he's just one he's going to get hurt he's injury prone he's Josh Johnson, he's Brandon Morrow, maybe he's Rich Hill. Uh, and he has to prove that. Uh, but, I mean, you just couldn't be more impressive than his four impressive starts. So I guess he could strike out 17. And <laughs> yeah. so now, of course, now he's he's done this enough that we're starting to get the, you know, the a nice little wave of why is Rich Hill good articles. And I'm always a little bit cautious about uh, looking at a guy who's pitching well, seeing what changed and crediting the success to the change, because yeah. there's always, if you look, there's always changes. There's changes when he's good. There's changes when he's bad. Sometimes they're coincidental and they don't cause. So, right. uh, you know, I think Colin also made this point that uh, finding, looking at a player who's had a lot of success recently, it, those articles are often tautological. It's like, oh, well, look, he's, he's hit 17 home runs in the last, Two months what's he doing differently well he's hitting mm-hmm. home runs on fastballs away well yeah sure we know he's hitting home runs like <laughs> right. that's it was already established that he's hitting home runs uh and so identifying uh the success in different words or more specifically doesn't necessarily mean that he's figured anything out uh, mm-hmm. so but
1: and then Hill, you want to try to trace it back to uh you know he's standing closer to the plate and now he's able to hit those pitches or he Changed his stance, or he's, you know, looking for outside pitches, or there's something something different. And and it does I mean, it does make it more likely that it's real if you can find something. But the problem always is that you can almost always find something. Like if you couldn't come up with any reason if he said, I haven't done anything differently, no one talked to me, no one said anything, then you might discount it more than if he says, I have a new swing or I have a new approach or whatever. But At the same time, you're right. You know, almost everyone has a new approach every few months, whether it's working or not. And so you can very easily get, you know, lulled into buying it as a real thing.
0: Yeah. Depending on what the explanation is, I'm not even totally sure that an explanation is more convincing than no explanation. Uh Um, You know, I don't know. Maybe it maybe you just get good, (laughs) you know, just get good. Maybe the ball feels better on your fingers. than it used to (laughs) uh Uh, it's hard to know but yes there are enough variables in a player's performance that it's you can what it's like the nate silver example of what like frog breeding rates can be correlated to the economy right yeah Mm -hmm. because there's enough variables that if you just plug all these things and look for high correlations you can find statistically significant relationships between the frog breeding rate and next year's dow or whatever but uh, with Rich Hill, I would say that uh, probably the most convincing thing that you can show me for a pitcher, besides he's throwing harder. Throwing harder is, is, the, is you know, certain if you're throwing harder, then I believe it. Uh, but his uh, release point is a focus of uh, many analyses, uh, even within like the A's radio broadcasters are talking about his release point. It seems like everybody has kind of identified that Rich Hill at this point is a pitcher who... Has an insanely good curveball. Uh, is able to throw that curveball like half the time, and still nobody can hit it. But he lives and dies on his release point. And you, something c- close to predictive, uh, is that you know his release point was was off in the spring, and then it was off in his first start, and he struggled. And then it was back. It was not all the way back, but it was pretty much back to where it was uh, last year uh, when he had this good start. And so I don't know. That doesn't necessarily answer the question of whether Rich Hill is in such good control of his body that he uh-huh. can keep his release point. Yeah. If a guy is losing he can his release point.
1: lose it any time.
0: Yeah, right. Lo- the inability to repeat one's release point is a pretty negative indicator yeah. in a lot of cases. Uh, so knowing what you need to do and being able to do it is not the same thing, but the better
1: than not knowing what to do, right?
0: It adds, it adds some element of realness to his good performances. It just goes further to the point that this is not, this is not, uh, like the universe's whimsy. Uh, like it's not, it's not random. It's not fluke. Uh, it's not out of, uh, out of any, out of our ability to, to explain, it's just can he keep his release point? And uh, so that yeah, I, that doesn't necessarily make him a safer bet, but it makes the last six starts look like something that you can hold on to. Yeah. So I'm excited. What about you? What's your uh, what's your Rich Hill offer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that uh, that one start did bump it up because it showed me that he could sustain it across multiple seasons like it's, it's it's harder to imagine if it is a hot streak where a player is just he just has everything working right then his mechanics his release point whatever is just working really well over a four-start stretch it does make me more confident that he could have a you know six-month off season and then a spring training and then he could come back and find it again so uh I don't I didn't give a number last time we talked about this but I was surprised that the A's only gave 6 million. I think I, I probably would have given more at the time, even though I was, if I recall, much more pessimistic about his innings total than you were. Or I, I can't remember for sure, but I think I didn't I project him for something like 75 innings or something. Or I don't know. It's hard to remember what we said because we say so many things. But I'd probably go uh, give him 10 million. <laughs> Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah I'm i not going,
0: not man, going there. i w- i wish that i was a i wish i was a rich hill collector and that there were a <laughs> lot of rich hills on the market right now i would be i would just i would be like it'd be the big short like i'd be the guy baby. in the big short uh-huh. i'd be i'd be listening to my to my metal and uh playing my drums yep. and collecting every rich hill while the world uh uh tried to get there uh their,
1: your, your your investors would be from. trying to get rid yeah. of you.
0: Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Rich Hill in two years now, six starts, 11.7 strikeouts per nine. Clayton Kershaw last year, 11.6. 1.7 walks per nine. Clayton Kershaw last year, 1.6. And 0.7 home runs per nine. Clayton Kershaw last year, 0.6. <laughs>
1: so, All right. It's pretty good.
0: It's pretty good. All right. Uh, and uh, let's see. Chicago Cubs. Uh-huh. Not just that they're six and one, uh, but that they have almost three times as many runs scored as runs allowed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they have almost three times as many runs scored as runs allowed. Like the to put this in perspective, the Orioles are undefeated and they have a run differential of fourteen. The Cubs are six and one and have a run differential of twenty nine.
1: Classic show out there, Orioles beating their Pythag.
0: They have the best uh, run differential in baseball by quite a bit. They've mm-hmm. uh, they have uh, done this even though they you know they had they suffered one of the the biggest losses probably yeah. the biggest loss so far yeah. uh, with the Kyle Schwarber injury uh, and yet in a way the Kyle Schwarber injury was the terrible news that reinforced how good the Cubs are.
1: It, right, they. You've got it's, it's Dexter it was, Fowler and he's slugging thirteen fifty nine. You've got was, Jorge Soler.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's sort of sh- it's almost a shocking reminder that they had Jorge Soler as a bench player. Is there another team in baseball, maybe the Pirates, where Jorge Soler isn't already the starter and you know your number five hitter?
1: Yeah, probably and, not.
0: And so they they were able to slot him in. By the way, Kyle Schwarber the in the beat Dakota. Pretty much uh, the overs skewed tremendously toward young players and the unders skewed tremendously toward old players. But uh-huh. Kyle Schwarber, 23 unders, two overs.
1: Yeah, well, that makes sort of sense. I, I would have taken the under on him on a per plate appearance basis just because he was so good last year.
0: Well, yeah, but you know it's a projection. I'm sure that he was regressed mm-hmm. somewhat. Uh, mm-hmm. He also probably had stats that reflected what he had done while he was catching and... He should yeah. get the no-catcher bump. But anyway, Kyle Schwarber, we'll see you next year. Uh, but the Cubs are um, are doing extremely well. And again, this is the confirmation bias episode. We yes. know that we are taking things that we already believed and then making too much out of small samples confirming them. So mm-hmm. are the Cubs the Warriors of baseball?
1: No, I don't think so. I, it would be fun if they were, but I, I don't think they're – is a Warriors of baseball? Is there? I, I don't. I mean, I don't know that any team really feels that dominant, that in control of the game or of the sport in well, baseball. It's it? just. I mean, there are so many. I mean, there was that Mike Francesa call not long ago where someone <laughs> 162 <yeah. laughs> called up and and speculated about the possibility of a 162 and O team and didn't seem to dismiss it at all. But I guess maybe like if you're the 98 Yankees, if you're the, you know, dynasty Yankees, if you're a dynasty and you seem to have cracked the code for winning every year, which in the Yankees case back then was, you know, develop some good players, but also just spend a ton of money at a time when not everyone could spend a lot of money, then maybe you kind of feel like you have the same sort of control. But on a day in, day out basis, it doesn't seem like thats i mean you know the warriors are going to win like 89% of their games or something which in uh, baseball saying, yeah
0: but so i mean obviously you have to adjust for the for the sport but what would it take to be the warriors what what would be the equivalent cuz i was actually thinking about the mariners won what 116 in 2001 yeah. and that's the the record mm-hmm. if if a team were set to win the warriors uh game on wednesday is going to be just bananas like it's going to be yeah. Like it'll be, it might be more, it might be watched more than, you know, the NBA finals games. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but like courtside seats are selling for, you know, $20,000 and, you know, nosebleed seats are selling for 500. And like, it is a huge, huge thing that the Warriors might break this record. We're all going to be watching. If a team had 116 going into the last game of the season, would anybody pay that much attention like how big a deal would it be how big a story would it be you and i would talk about it but how big a story would it be would it be on the front page of that team's local paper or would it only be on the sports section front page of that team's local paper
1: <laughs> i think it might be on the main page of that team's local paper but it wouldn't be you know on main pages of any other paper which the warriors probably are or will be yeah i don't i don't think it's i don't know would it be that exciting 117 I, I mean it'd be exciting to have a team that good but the actual number. I mean, baseball is a sport where there are so many hallowed numbers and famous numbers that people are interested whenever anyone gets close to, but that doesn't really seem like one of them. (laughs) Maybe it's just because no one ever gets close to it. But I mean, no one even really remembers the 2001 Mariners as like that great a team, really. I mean, people you know, say, well, they got a little lucky and they didn't go anywhere in the playoffs and it's not forgotten but it's not really made that much of
0: so when you say there is no warriors of baseball you don't have an idea of it's not that the cubs aren't good enough it's that you just don't think that it's, it's something that the sport is set up to have
1: yeah i mean you can you can sport adjust it that you know that whatever that level of dominance is in basketball you could figure out what the baseball equivalent level of dominance would be and then, you know, maybe some teams have achieved that, but it just, uh, the inevitability or the feeling that they're just, you know, toying with people or that they're playing an entirely different sport. I don't really think you ever get that kind of thing in baseball.
0: 11 and 0 in the postseason. Post s- Would 11 and 0 in the postseason
1: yeah. be the. Maybe. I mean, were when the Royals were just coming back and winning every game and winning postseason series, were they that kind of.
0: Well, I, they didn't go. They didn't go eleven and zero in the postseason.
1: No, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that would be it. But yeah. uh, it just I yeah, know. that sort
0: of just feels like you're a hot team,
1: right? Uh, yeah. Well, unless you could somehow construct yourself to be a great postseason team, but I don't know how you would do that.
0: I'm gonna say uh, having the best offense in baseball, having the best pitching in baseball, and winning uh, 117. Makes you the Warriors baseball. Uh huh. Right. So anyway, uh, specifics though with the Cubs. One specific is their bullpen currently in um, nineteen combined appearances, twenty strikeouts, one walk.
1: (laughs) It's good.
0: It's really good.
1: (laughs) It's Rich Hill esque. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's Kerry Wood esque. That's what it is. (laughs) Uh, The Jake Arrieta um, has made two starts. He has a 1.93 ERA. He has uh, struck out 12 and walked one. And Arietta is, you know, obviously is a superstar, um, and probably everybody would have said he was a top 10 pitcher in baseball coming into the year. I think that it, there was some room for controversy, though, uh, both because his greatness was still relatively short-lived, longer than Rich Hill, shorter than Clayton Kershaw, uh, and because he threw so many innings last year, um, and had never really thrown that many innings before So you had that as well um, And we it seemed like a lot of people Saw him wearing down At the end of last year uh, And he's got an injury past um, And um, I, I could have seen Taking an under I don't know if I would have taken the under against Pocota But taking an under Wherever you said it on Arietta, And uh, so far he has uh, He has uh, answered any kind of Conservative outlook that I might have had for him, mm-hmm.
1: and he also hit a gigantic home run. <laughs> did, did you see that? I think that I think a pitcher hitting a home run like that is just the most impressive thing that could happen in baseball to me right now. It's, I mean, Madison Bumgarner, what he's doing. I think uh, ESPN Stats and Info had a, a tweet. Did you see their fun fact that he is. Since 2014, he's hit a home run every 8.4 at bats at AT (laughs) AT&T and Park, and uh, Barry Bonds' career at bats per homer at AT AT&T is 8.8. So over the last, I guess, two seasons plus, he has hit home runs at a higher rate at home than Barry Bonds did.
0: That's a pretty good uh, one.
1: That is a good one. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing is, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but it might be the most impressive thing in baseball to me right now, to be that good at Hitting at a time when hitting is so hard, and most pitchers are completely terrible at it, is incredible.
0: All right, let's uh, starting right now. What will Madison Bumgarner's slash line be for the rest of the year? Because I st- I always have this belief, which has been slightly disproven by my own research, but I always have this belief that uh, pitchers' numbers are even even bad, but good or bad, they're inflated by other pitchers not taking them seriously and just trying to avoid walking them. Yeah. Uh, and that there is a point where the league will, you know, wake up and quit letting you do what you're doing. Again, this is a hypothesis with actual counter evidence against it. But nonetheless, uh, Madison Bumgarner going forward,
1: what will he hit? I think Jeff Sullivan wrote about that last season, or someone did, and looked at how pitchers were pitching to Bumgarner, and it seemed like they had already adjusted. They weren't throwing him so many, you know, meatballs basically like they do to most pitchers and they were throwing harder and all that sort of stuff so it seems like they already are treating him like a hitter now the the home run that he hit against Clayton Kershaw the other night was like the most meatbally meatball ever but that was probably a a mistake more so than it was lack of respect Uh, but I mean at this point he uh I'm I'm pretty much buying it I mean it's still you know small sample it's It's two plus seasons, but it's like 160 play appearances or something like that, that he has been this great hitter. And of course, his breakout as a hitter came with, you know, the sort of story about doing things differently and dedicating yourself to it and the whole origin story that sort of lends some credence to it. But yeah, I mean, I'm basically buying it at this point. So, you know, he's gone from a 755 OPS to a 743 OPS to, you know, he had a home run in his first game. I would say uh, he'll. Pretty much sustain that. I, 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 you know, maybe I'll go seven hundred.
0: Okay, I'll, uh, I'll say five eighty. All right, and the last thing uh, that we can talk about is Ray Searidge the uh, latest greatest pitching coach in Major League Baseball, and uh, he got uh, three prominent new students this off season: uh, Neftali Feliz, John Niece, and Juan Nicasio. Feliz five innings, six strikeouts. No base runners. Well, I guess he hit a batter. And then I think he doubled them up, maybe. I think he uh, has faced the minimum. But no walks, no hits. Juan Nicasio had a very, very strong first start. Six innings, struck out six, walked nobody. And in fact, uh, Juan Nicasio in his career, in his entire career, which is longer than you think, uh, had only previously had three starts where he went five innings and didn't walk anybody. Uh, So this is a significant outlier in his uh, career. And uh, John Neese uh, has not been as good. He has two starts, and he already close to six, but he is striking out 10 batters per nine. He has good control. He has simply given up a bunch of home runs, uh, and uh, one might think that that is a thing that would stabilize, or one might think that it is a sign that he's not very good. Anyway, uh, so you can take from all three of those, but particularly two of them, early signs that Ray Searidge is actually the genius that we would believe him to be. Uh, What do you think?
1: Well, I don't know the full extent of all the changes that he made with all three guys. I know that Feliz has been excellent. It would be harder to have a better start than he has had. You know, he's not throwing harder. He doesn't seem to be throwing different pitches. I'm not sure if there have been major mechanical changes or anything. But I guess Nicasio is maybe the most encouraging. He had a very good spring training, too, peripheral-wise. And he looked very good in his first start and efficiency had been his problem really in Colorado. And of course, part of that is just being in Colorado, but he also had trouble going deep into games and he was very efficient in his first outing. And it was encouraging. He still seems like sort of a two pitch guy. I mean, he he threw fastballs and sliders almost exclusively, he missed in a, mixed in a couple changeups. So he still seems like a guy who maybe would be a reliever on some teams or you know, some teams would see him as more of a reliever, which he was for part of last season. So I'm not sure I'm buying that yet. It's not as if he has developed a great third pitch and turned into a more complete pitcher. I mean, I'm sure there have been improvements, but, there were also seemingly improvements when he was in the bullpen with the Dodgers, so I'm not sure how much Sirich gets sole credit for that too. Like he changed his pitch mix a bit and stopped throwing a sinker that wasn't really working for him and everything. So still too early I think for me to pronounce that Sirich has had a huge effect. I haven't really paid that much attention to Nice, so I don't know what's different about him other than that he struck out some guys, which is sort of unusual for him. It would be Pretty incredible if the Dodgers, who are the team that we think of as maybe the smartest, you know, the team with Andrew Friedman and the team with six GMs and the team that's buying up all these injury experts to try to steal a march on the rest of the league. If they had won Nicasio and, and, you know, got a good look at him and chose not to bring him back, didn't want him, didn't see any more in him. And then Ray Sirage still Turned him into a great pitcher That would be even more impressive Than if he had just been coming from, say, Colorado directly Where, you know, they've had a lot of problems developing players And and seem to not be the best-run organization So uh, it would be even more impressive if he came from the Dodgers And still, Searidge managed to dig deeper
0: Yeah, there's the Searidge factor with with Nicasio Which we'll be watching And, you know, the the one indication there is the walks? He's he's been a guy who's had problems with walks his whole career, even last year. Uh, and you know it's only one start, but if for instance he were to cut his walks in half, that'd be a pretty big deal that you might credit to the pitching coach. But there is also, aside from searage, just simply the fact that Nicasio was a starter who gained a lot of velocity when he moved to the bullpen. And what's surprising about his first start is that he held that velocity uh, in the rotation or in his in the start. He uh, averaged ninety five. With his four-seamer, he hit 99. And Matt Trueblood wrote about this, and I think that you can take this in a positive or a negative way. Trueblood was uh, sort of pumping the brakes a little bit by noting that Nicasio um, feels weird to call him Trueblood, and so does Matt. Uh, but <laughs> Nicasio uh, was at 96 in the first three innings, and then uh, kind of weakened or tired or wavered or whatever. And uh, by the end, he was kind of more at his career average, and so you could maybe say, well, okay, the, the 96 is in the, you know, the 99 that he touched might've been, uh, him, you know, it might've been adrenaline from making his first start of the year. It might've been that he just came out as though he were a reliever and, but he couldn't hold it. But you could also, uh, I think that you could say that it's notable that he did manage to hold 95 as an average throughout an entire hundred pitch start. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that, you know, if you just look at the, Cumulative pitches. This is a guy who um, had a, a you know a little bit of a career bump last year when he was able to to add velocity two miles an hour of velocity and um, in the bullpen. And if he holds it, it doesn't really matter whether Ray Searage is the cause or or not. If he does manage to hold it, just knowing that a okay or you know even poor starter adds two miles an hour of velocity uh, that gives you a much better forecast for his future. So. It'll be interesting to see whether A, he does continue to average 95, and B, whether he does continue to throw much harder early in games than later in games, because if it's the latter, uh, that could be maybe a problem.
1: Yes, it was actually only, what, an 84-pitch start, I think, which is impressive in a different way, in that he managed to get through six innings in 84 pitches, which is not something that maybe the old Juan Nicasio could have done. Yeah. But yeah, the leader in baseball prospectus wins above replacement player is Gene Segura right now. So it's probably safe to pump the brakes on just about everyone. Except for Gene Segura. Yeah, he's totally for real. This for real. Confirmation bias. We expected Segura to be the NL MVP this year. and He's exactly. merely playing as we expected. Okay, so that is it for today. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. Five people who have become patrons of the podcast already Steve Schneider, Matt Idigson, Brian Riley, Alex Dox, and John Papabaridis. Thank you. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can buy our book. The only rule is it has to work which comes out on May 3rd. It is the story of how Sam and I ran the Independent League Sonoma Stompers last summer and tried to put some of the wacky policies you have heard on the podcast into place, you can pre-order it now at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or local bookstores. You can also rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes, and you can get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. By the way, Sam just tweeted at me that right after we finished speaking, one Nicasio issued back-to-back walks. So beware of walkless Nicasios and league-leading Seguras. Send us emails for tomorrow's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com, or if you're a Patreon supporter, by messaging us through Patreon. We will talk to you then.